you like to turn with me to, to Daniel chapter 7, and we're starting at verse 9, reading through to verse 14. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But if you've got a different version and you'd like to follow on, Daniel 7, starting from verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was, was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to, the, to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Would you like to turn with me now to Acts chapter 1? We'll be starting from verse 1. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered, not, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. We'll be singing the next song. This is an old one. What can wash away my sin? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, good morning, Chapel Street. If you have your Bibles, please have them open to Acts chapter 1. Join with me as I pray. Father God, we come before you now that your word would speak to us. Lord, that you would teach, rebuke, correct and train us. Lord, that we would see Christ in his glory. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us now. Have mercy upon us and may your word be spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. June the 2nd, 1953. I asked a couple of people here before the service if they knew what was significant about that date. I can think of one, maybe two people at Chapel Street who might be familiar with that. 2nd of June, 1953 was the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. She had been proclaimed queen at the age of 25 on the death of her father, King George VI, back in February, 6th of February, 1952. But though she had been proclaimed queen, it was still another 14 months given to preparation for her coronation. It was a great celebration. Thousands gathered in Westminster Abbey. Thousands upon thousands of spectators lined the streets and the road towards the Abbey. Military, guests, officials, heads of state, foreign royalty, all gathered for the occasion. It was the first British coronation to be fully televised. The crown had been walked to the front of the Abbey. The crown awaited for her. It was a grand ceremony. She was anointed in this ceremony. She was adorned with royal robes and royal regalia. And then she was crowned queen. Coronations. That is what we want to think about today because the kingdom of heaven is a monarchy. Christ or Messiah means anointed one. And the anointed one is God's chosen king. Psalm 2 prophesies the kingship of Jesus, the Christ, God the Father and the Son speak, saying to a wicked and rebellious world, in Psalm 2 verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them, then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord, he said, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Jesus is God's anointed King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's what we want to be reminded of today. Not long ago, we celebrated Christ's resurrection on Easter Sunday. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is the King, the King of Psalm 2, the one whom God said is the King, is the one who would abandon the grave, the one whose body would not see decay. Peter proclaimed Jesus was King and that they're all witnesses of the fact. God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand. But though Jesus was proclaimed king at his resurrection and proven to be king, 
there was a grand, unmatchable occasion still to come. A ceremony that would leave all ceremonies on earth in insignificance, however great the king or queen is. The coronation where Christ himself would ascend to the throne. A ceremony that would make the coronation of Queen Elizabeth look completely insignificant. Proclaim king at his resurrection, but at Christ's ascension is the coronation where he took the throne. Leading up to the cross, Jesus had prayed, Father, glorify me in your presence with, your, with the glory I had with you before the world began. And the familiar words of Philippians 2 and verse 9, because Jesus laid down his life on the cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That all took place at the ascension. And so that's what we're going to look at today. On a church calendar, today is called Ascension Sunday. And throughout the world, God's people in many churches will be gathering today to remember the ascension of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. At Christmas, we remember Christ coming down from heaven to earth. And on Ascension Day, we remember Christ going from earth to heaven. If you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 1, we read this, Luke writes, in, the, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. A while back at Easter, on Easter Sunday, we remembered Jesus rose from the dead. That took place, that ceremony or that day celebration on the 12th of April. That was day one. Day 40, the 40th day, Ascension Day, was on Thursday last week on the 21st of May. And so Ascension Sunday is the Sunday that is closest to that 40th day. If you look down to verse 12 of Acts 1, we're told that the ascension took place from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was a Sabbath day walk from the city of Jerusalem. So that's just over a kilometre away. It was a familiar place for Jesus and his disciples. He would spend his day teaching in the temple. Then in the evenings, he would withdraw and go and spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives has also been used as a Jewish cemetery for thousands of years with over nearly up to 150,000 graves on the mountain. And so we must remember again and again that our faith is grounded in history. The ascension took place at a real place in history with real eyewitnesses. Some pictures should appear on the screen. This is the Mount of Others. If you were there today, this is what you would see. 
There it is. That's the Mount of Olives. Those white things all over the side of the mountain are graves. The next picture, if you were wanted to see where the Mount of Olives is, you can see it there in bold, just to the right of centre, the Mount of Olives. And to the left is the temple. If for some reason you're at the temple and you wanted to work out how to get to the Mount of Olives, next one down, Sam, is Google Maps. It's a 28-minute walk. And then once you're on the Mount of Olives, if you look back to Jerusalem, this is what you would see. And that dome is where the temple is. And if you look along the wall at the, that goes, that's part of the old city going along to the right, you'll come to a big gate. It's sort of double-arched if you look closely. And we'll come back to that gate in due course. Thanks, Sam. So what happened on that mountain 2,000 years ago? We read in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The apostles were eyewitnesses of the ascension. They stood and they watched as Jesus was being taken up, rising higher and higher into the sky until he was finally hidden from their sight by a cloud. And even after the cloud hit him, they kept looking into the sky, marveling at this event that they had just witnessed. Only then for two angels to come and say it would happen in reverse one day. The day is coming when we all on earth will have our eyes drawn up to the heavens. And we will all marvel as we see Jesus Christ coming forth from heaven through the clouds at his second coming. Revelation 1.7 says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And so what's the significance of the, of the ascension? Been linking it to Easter. If you remember at Jesus' trial, the Jewish leaders were condemning him. And on the whole, Jesus stood silent to the accusations because they were false. But a moment came when he spoke, and in Matthew 26, verse 64, he replied, I say to you that all of you in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Those wicked men thought they were bringing Jesus to an end, but it was just the beginning. One day they would see him seated on the throne of heaven, God's chosen king over all. They had rejoiced on Good Friday. They had done the devil's work on Good Friday. 
But on Easter Sunday, the devil screamed in fear for Christ rose from the dead only to be exalted on the 40th day to the highest place. We have a glimpse of this in our Bibles. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, John has a vision. He has a vision of the throne room of heaven. The heavenly creatures in heaven are perpetually worshipping God day and night. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, We see these things happening in verses 8 down to 11. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's God the Father who is and is and is to come. In verse 9, give him glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Crowns are laid before him. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But then an extraordinary scene takes place in chapter 5. There is weeping. For there is no one worthy to deliver God's people from the tumult of evil and to bring forth the judgments of God, for all men are wicked. There is no one righteous, not even one. And then John witnesses an awesome event in chapter 5. He sees God's chosen King Jesus, a line of Judah, coming forth into the courtroom of heaven, returning as the lamb who was slain. He is the conqueror. Heaven rejoices and sings out in verse 9 of chapter 5, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase men from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Down to verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of them sing to him who is seated on the throne, the Father, and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And thus we see what was spoken of in Philippians 2, having been obedient to death, even death on the cross, the Lamb who was slain. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Daniel had a vision of this 600 years before. If you turn back to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel's vision, he is given a, a view of the throne room of heaven. He sees God the Father, the Ancient of Days, seated on the throne of heaven. The throne that is higher than every throne, his clothing is white as snow, his hair white like wool, the throne ablaze of flame with fire, thousands upon thousands attending him, 10,000 times 10,000 gathered before him. The heavenly court is seated, the books are opened, the heavenly court proceeds. The wicked foolishly continue to scoff at God, and then Daniel witnesses the most awesome event. Heaven watches as someone draws near to the court 
the throne room of heaven. In verse 13, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming, coming with the clouds of heaven, drawing nigh to the throne room of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never, ever be destroyed. That is what we are remembering today. The day Christ ascended, the slain lamb entering the throne room of heaven, the day the Son of Man came on the clouds and entered into heaven. Today we remember that Jesus, the man from Galilee, born in Bethlehem, who preached repent for the kingdom of God is near, who was crucified, dead and buried, who rose again on the third day, 40 days later, he was lifted up into heaven, coming on the clouds of heaven. All heaven watched in awe. All heaven fell down and worshipped him as he processed past the angels, past the elders, past everyone who had lifted off their crowns, past the living creatures, past the seraphim, all who give glory to God day and night and have so for eternity. They all fell down before Jesus of Nazareth as he drew closer and closer and closer to God Almighty seated on the throne. Heaven was in awe. He was doing what no one can do, no creature can do without being consumed by the holiness of God. Yet God took him up onto the throne. He restored to him the glory that he had with him before the creation of the world. God seated Jesus the Son on the throne, his throne, the throne that is higher than every other. And heaven responded in glorious praise to the Father and to the Son. And John witnessed every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea singing and praising to him who sits on the throne that is God and to the land that is Jesus of Nazareth be praise, glory, and honor and power forever. And the four mighty beings of heaven declared Amen. And the Father and the Son were worshipped as God. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You may be familiar with Handel's Hallelujah chorus as part of the Messiah, which we sing at Christmas. At the end of the second section, which is a drawing to end of the resurrection and the ascension, and before Christ's second coming, there is the Hallelujah chorus. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, followed by seven times, Hallelujah, 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 seven times. Praise God. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever. It's understood that then that was first sung back in 1743, the King George II of England. 
who was seated while everyone stood for him, when it reached the hallelujah chorus, he stood from his throne to number himself with the common people, acknowledging that all people and all rulers are under the kingship of Jesus. There is no king on earth who is the supreme authority. All earthly kings are under the authority and must and should honor the one supreme Lord, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Today, we remember the most glorious truth. Sadly, somehow we jump from Easter to Pentecost and we forget the coronation of Christ as King. So four things that I want to encourage us in the light of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, our King. Firstly, rest secure in Christ. We can. We can surely rest secure in Christ. That is why at the time of the Great Commission, Jesus could say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is why he can say to us in a reassuring way, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Your Lord Jesus Christ loves you dearly. He died for you. He bore God's wrath for you. And now he has all authority in heaven and on earth at his disposal and he'll use it to keep you, to protect you, to bring you safely home to glory. He will keep you spiritually safe. None can snatch you from his hand, not even the devil. The devil is subject to him. The trials and tribulations of earth can never snatch you from his hand. COVID-19 is subject to him. Every pestilence is subject to him. Every atom in all of existence is subject to him. Every cell, everything of biology, everything of, that is material or living, everything is subject to him. Your life is hid with Christ. Whether you pass through the valley of the shadow of death or lie by still waters, you are just as safe and secure with the King. For he is just as perfectly in control in the valleys as on the mountains. Whatever situations we face, he is just as in control. As one man said many years ago, Abraham Kuyper, there is not a square inch in the whole dom domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. You think of a square inch, you go to the bottom of the ocean, you go to the center of the earth, you go to the moon, you go to the farthest, furthest galaxy, you go wherever, and it's Jesus. He is king. He's king over the natural world. He's king over the rulers. He's He's sovereign over Putin of Russia, Xi Jinping of China, over Trump of America, over the Parliament of Australia. Christ reigns over all. And so this day I pray and exhort us and encourage us, rest secure in Jesus, for he is your king and he loves you. Secondly, proclaim Christ. Proclaim him. We read that in verse 8 of Acts 1. He says to his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after all this happened, as we would exactly do if we were these disciples, they were there looking into heaven. They were in awe. They were speechless. And two angels are sent to sort of wake them up, snap them out of it. Men of Galilee, verse 11, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Christ has given you a mission. He's called his church to proclaim him as king to the ends of the earth. The angel said to his apostles, don't stand here idle. We've got a job, a privilege. Go to the nations declaring that Christ is king forever and ever. May we go and do as we are told. It's one thing to not be obeying because we're staring intently at Jesus. Suddenly he's gone. And sadly, another thing to not be obeying because we've fixated our attention on a myriad of worldly pursuits. But whether we justify them as theological pursuits or we quickly consider worldly pursuits, neither of them are appropriate. If they keep us from obeying Jesus, if they keep his church, his people idle in proclaiming him king through all the earth. The king came calling people to repent and believe and he sent his apostles out and he sent his church out and he sends us out at Chapel Street to go calling people to repentance, to receive mercy from the king and to be welcomed into the kingdom. And so we go confidently. I get nervous at times. I'm sure we all do, but we go confidently because the one whom we proclaim has all authority in heaven and on earth. We go. And as Jesus has encouraged us, his kingdom is unstoppable. Rest secure in Christ. Proclaim Christ. Thirdly, die for Christ. Revelation 12, we see the king is on his throne. Christ has come. Satan, the accuser, has been cast out of heaven and he's angry. But in the face of his anger, the church rejoices because our Lord reigns. But we are told, woe to the earth because the devil has been cast down. He is filled with fury. He awaits a certain doom when his head will once and for all be crushed, but he's gone out to wage war against God's people. But through the ages, the apostles who had witnessed the resurrection Lord took the message of Jesus to Jews and Gentiles. They laid down their lives for the king. They did not have to keep their lives because their life is secure. They have eternal life. That's why through the generations, men and women have laid down their lives going to places like Africa where they knew it would be a one-way ticket. Taking the gospel to pagans, to bloodthirsty tribes, to cannibals. Read the history of the church. What gave them the courage and the boldness? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Remember Stephen, wonderful man that we read about in Acts. He was not an apostle. The first role we see he had was as a godly man in the church whose role was to make sure widows were looked after. 
And when opportunity came, he would preach and proclaim Christ. He was a godly man full of the Spirit. He was martyred. Yet as the people poured out their hate on him, gnashing their teeth at him and despising Jesus, Acts 7, we read this in verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, unshaken in his faith, even as rocks came flying and crushing into his flesh and head. And as they stoned into death, he stood firm because his king reigns. And that day he saw his king face to face with his very own eyes. I pray that God would open up our eyes to the glories of Jesus, to give us the real confidence that the apostles and those who have gone before us and Stephen had, that we don't have to clutch or save our lives in this world, but we can give them for Christ. To be set free, not to fear man, but to proclaim the King of Kings to the end of the earth. For he is worthy. So rest secure in Christ. Proclaim Christ. Die for Christ. And finally, be ready for Christ. Remember what the angel said to the apostles. In verse 10, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking intently into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Christ one day will return on the clouds. Zechariah chapter 14, we see, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's extraordinary. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. And these are the words of verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Today, encourage each other. Jesus is coming back. Our King is coming. But we are also told, Revelation 1.9, on that day, all the peoples of the earth, those who have remained in rebellion will mourn because of the King. And at the name of Jesus, on that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you remember that picture we had at the beginning of the Mount of Olives, we are told that when the King comes, that mountain will split. All those graves will burst open. Those who are dead in Christ shall rise. They're the graves that will burst open and every grave on the earth 
and all the graves in every churchyard that are also facing east. For that is the direction we are told he will come. The graveyard in Armadale will burst forth. If we are in the grave, we will burst forth. And those who are Jesus will rise to meet him in the air, to gather with the king for the coming of the king. Once again, Jesus will descend from the Mount of Olives. At Easter, he descended that mountain. The triumphal entry as Jerusalem supposedly declared him king only to within a week have crucified him, despised him, and rejected him. Coming down that mountain, he wept over Jerusalem. But at that time, Jesus said he would come again. The king would come. He would descend from the Mount of Olives through the gate, which is in the next picture that I referred to at the start. As you move along that wall, you'll see a, a rise in the wall, a gate with a double arch above it. That is the eastern gate. That is the gate Jesus would when it was there, because Jerusalem was destroyed, Jesus entered Jerusalem as king through the eastern gate, only to be rejected. But it was prophesied that the time is coming, and Jesus said when he would come again as king, but his people would receive him on that day. Ezekiel prophesied that that gate would be sealed, which is why if you look close, do you see it's all bricked up? But that gate, the gate of mercy, the golden gate will be unsealed, and Christ the king will once again enter the city. It'll be an awesome day. This time coming not as the lamb to be slain, but as the king, the lion of Judah to reign forever. We need to talk about these truths with each other and with our children. I pondered these truths deeply as a child. I remember looking into the sky and imagining the day when all the earth will be in awe of the glory of the king of kings. Now is the day of salvation. The king is coming. The church is to cry out. The Lord cries out, repent for your sins. Make peace with him now before he comes, before he comes to judge the earth. When that was preached on the day of Pentecost and those who were listening realized Jesus was king, they said, what must we do to be saved? And I pray that we have responded likewise, that we have repented of our sin that we have turned to Jesus, we have made peace with the King. Because on that day, no one will question his authority. The nations will mourn because they'll know it's too late. He will come and clear his threshing floor. The King will gather the wheat into his barn, but the King will burn up the chaff. Will you meet Jesus on that day in the air? On that glorious day as your redeeming king, I pray none of us join in the weeping, but that we know him. Now is the day. Turn to the king. Flee your wickedness. Cry out to him for mercy. The king laid down his life for his people. He loves his people. He will welcome you. Whoever calls on his name will be saved. And so in light that Christ is king, rest in him, rest in the king.
proclaim the king, be willing to die for the king and be ready to meet the king. Today is the day for us all to join in and we will shortly in this anthem crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns or music but his own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Amen.